Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So today is a unique episode. So you may have seen on social media that I have taken on a coach to work alongside myself. Uh, and the new coach is Stephen Dallas. So Stephen is a good pal of mine, but I, I wouldn't have taken on any coach to kind of come on board and represent uh, Team SWF and represent Shane Walsh Fitness as a brand. Stephen knows his stuff. Stephen is a trained nutritionist. He's a PT, knows his stuff like the back of his hand. And if he doesn't know something or if he kind of needs to tweak anything, he'll go and research it. And then he, he works a lot, very, very hard with his clients and on his own training. And he is a trainee psychologist as well. So that's a, a unique aspect that he can bring to the table as well. So Mr. Dallas, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Um, it's also wonderful to be part of the team, as um, you pointed out, a uh, trainee psychologist. So that's one of the new aims of uh, this current 2020-2021 period of my life. So I think that's going to be the enjoyable thing. Um, more of the aspect because while a lot of people go through in a general basis or on a general day, a lot of the struggles and obstacles that we go through usually come down to more of the mental aspect. And I think there's, especially in the fitness and the nutrition field, there's very little help that is there to kind of guide people through those obstacles and actually kind of allow them to realize their true potential. So it's something that is quite close to my heart to want to try and help those people overcome quite a lot of those aspects. And yeah, love eating food. <laughs> I think uh, the reason I wanted to do, kind of do this episode was kind of like a coach's corner to kind of get across Stephen's ideologies, Stephen's background, Stephen's history and how, how he works and his approach to working with clients because it's it's expanding out of us, right? Uh, Team SWF, which I'm super fortunate and we're both super fortunate to be in that position in 2020 because it's been such a weird year. So mm. we will be taking on uh, more clients for 2021. Uh, for January and stuff like that. So if you guys are interested, do pop myself a DM or pop us over an email and we can jump on a call for that. But uh, Stephen, I'm going to let you, it feels weird calling you Stephen, but uh, Stephen, I'm going to let you talk about uh, yourself, your background and kind of like the ideology towards coaching because I think that's the, the most important thing is that ideology, which is an OBS um, mm. and back, an evidence-based background. Yeah. So, like, in terms of, like, how all this came about, I used to be in the tech industry. So, I used to be um, into supporting kind of networks and doing all the aspects of supporting people in fixing their IT issues, kind of fixing how installers did certain applications, installing certain IT products and whatnot. So, that's kind of where I started out most of my career because I had quite a interest in IT. And that stemmed from when I was 16, I was in the hospital um, diagnosed with Adderstill's disease, so basically juvenile arthritis. So at that time, it was more of an exclusionary process that that came about. So it was, I woke up one day, couldn't move my body in bed, had to scream down to my mother to try and get her to come up and help me because I couldn't move any part of my body, but I can move my head left and right. And I'm like, knowing that you have... <laughs> had the ability to kind of move your body now suddenly waking up and don't have that ability it was kind of a, a huge shock to the system so like at that time i was living in cork so i was taken down to cuh um, hospital and everything and then they did uh, lumbar punctures they did all the tapping they did everything to try and figure out i couldn't figure out whether they sent me home said come back if anything changes um and then over a period of a week things started getting worse and worse and worse i was like i was coughing i was inability to sleep like absolutely deteriorating. So when I end up taking me back to the hospital and kind of checked me in. So that's when things started getting a little bit awry. So as time went on, my kind of stats started decreasing rapidly. I didn't have anything else to do in the hospital, but I sit in a bed, well, lie in a bed technically, um, and I would be given my laptop. And that's pretty much where the kind of stem for kind of the computer aspect came from because I had nothing else to do. I went, I was a person who loved playing sport. I was loved doing kind of any form of exercise. If you could give me the ability to go do PE in school instead of studying, I definitely would. Now I'm a bit 50-50, but um, it's funny to see the changes. 
But essentially, it was coming to the December in that year, and I was still lying in bed, wasting away. And the doctors were like, we can't figure out exactly what this is. We're not sure what is truly occurring, but it's not looking good for you and your health, and it's not looking good for the amount of time it is going to be well, in terms of your life, in terms of we're not sure you are going to last long enough. Um, so that was a bit of a touch and go obviously for myself, but also for the family as a whole. So from that aspect, they were like, well, if things are going to go bad, we might as well check our son out because like, you know, we'd rather have him in a better place than actually be in a position where you're in a hospital where things could potentially go bad, you know? So that was, uh, obviously a very crazy aspect to be going through. Like when I was 16 years old, luckily with a high dose of steroids and some serious miracles that, some of the doctors still can't explain. Um, I happened to start getting better and better and better, um, which was a wonderful thing. So when it came to being 17 and so like that, about a year after, um, I finally could start getting back into playing sports, but still kept up quite a bit of the IT thing. So I taught myself how to program, built myself computers, started looking at all that aspect. And then when it came to my 18th birthday, I made the decision that I was going to come off all forms of medication. So the reason behind that was a lot of them were immune suppressants, taking good amount of doses of steroids to keep my immune system at bay. So in terms of that, like sleep was absolutely like ridiculous. Like I would get like absolutely no sleep. Hair would always be falling out. If someone coughed on a bus or something like that, I'll be sick for the next two weeks. I couldn't really play as much sport as I wanted because if I started playing, I would end up getting too ill from it as well because it would be too much stress on the system. So it was just something like I was not happy with it. So I took the, the initiative to come off it after having a long chat with my parents and they were like, well, you are 18. It is your decision, but we will support you, you know? Um, so that was an interesting one. So again, all the blood's taken and everything spoke to, uh, the doctor about it. They were like, well, we advise you not to the, like the bloods are looking good, but you know, we don't know what potentially could occur. And I was like, well, I'm happy to take that risk. Cause I'm like, well, it's my choice. It's my life. Why should I not? Um, that was like the last time I took medication for my said disease. Um, from that aspect, since, you know, I still had a longing for some form of sport, but couldn't exactly do sport. And I started taking up the gym aspect to kind of help while I was doing um, support with all the IT stuff. So it was a way to manage my stress, but also kind of give back to my body and kind of give me that sports aspect that I kind of so missed. And that became more of a true love. The more and more I started doing it, I started researching how can I train better? What can I do more? You know, it was like, this is a fascinating world because it's like, I remember squatting with um, 80 kilograms in the beginning and I was in tears squatting because I was in so much pain. It was ridiculous. Um, and at the time I had a trainer, um, Natalie Lennon and, um, so when we were training and everything, and then it was only after about three or four months and she like asked me, she's like, you're in tears sometimes training, what's up? And I was like, oh, what I didn't tell you, I technically have a disease. And she's like, what? And I went, yes, but no one would allow me to train. No one would allow me to do anything if I said I did. Because it's like, wait, what? I went, so I'm happy to take all of this responsibility. It's not on you, but it's something that I'm doing. And as time went on, my pain tolerance started to go up. And so the pains that I used to feel, so like the inability to truly breathe, to be able to kind of walk and run and do these things started disappearing. So the aspect of training really started changing a lot of who I am, who I was, and allowed me to continue to be the person I've always wanted to be. So that was a wonderful aspect from training. So as I carried on through the IT aspect, that started giving me more and more stress. I started really hating that whole aspect. And I'm just like, can no one be normal in this industry? Can we not talk to people normally? It's like, why is there going to be ridiculous deadlines? Why do people always have to get angry about small little things? It's just sometimes there are wonderful things in every industry and there's also bad things in the industry. And I had to be at the one point where in that little crux where a lot of these bad things could happen and then that stress is always high. So I went to the gym more often to do that. And the more I went to the gym, the more I started falling in love with doing this, wanting to see how that process worked and everything. And then it basically came a natural shift for me. So then I ended up leaving the IT side of the world to become a trainer. 
And that's how kind of my kind of segue into the training and kind of learning about the research came is because it was out of the betterment of myself going through issues that I couldn't overcome. Now, obviously, fast forward a good five, six years later, um, which I know you remember beginning before lockdown, I went for um, my blood test results again because I was just like, well, I refuse to do any of this because I was like, well, I took the mantra of if it is not bothering me now and I'm not feeling problems and I can manage it and I can still do what I want to do and I'm enjoying life as it is, then I shouldn't have to worry about this because if I put more time to worry about this, it could negatively impact me and I don't want that aspect. Rather live life to the fullest than have something take away that ability to live life. So I was like, all right. So I mustered up the courage to go get the blood test results and everything. So I went in, got new cultures, everything, got all that stuff sorted and came back with, you don't have any form of rheumatoid arthritis. You don't have any juvenile stuff. You have nothing. Which begs the question then, if I did have any form of rheumatoid arthritis, essentially, that would be technically permanently in my system in some way or form. There would be markers of that. So if that wasn't there, what did I possibly have when I was 16 that is still technically undiagnosed or could possibly have fixed itself and disappeared? So that was the, the conundrum of 2020 in February. However, it was a beautiful thing to know that one, I don't have rheumatoid arises and two, my suspicions and worries had been put to rest because it was something I didn't have to truly worry about anymore. Not that I truly did want to worry about it, but there were times when it did get cold and I'll be like, oh, there's pains in my side. There's pains in my chest. I'm struggling to breathe. Is this happening again? Am I going to have issues? But it was a wonderful thing. So a lot of craziness that did bring me into kind of the training side of things. So it was a nice natural progression, but I'm grateful for what I've gone through because it also has shaped a lot of my mentality and philosophy are how I look at things, which is like stress is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. Too much of it can be problematic. I like when people realize that stress can be good and that we need to find ways to lower stress and that sometimes we just need to say like, eh, oh, well, let's move on, carry on and try and find ways to enjoy life. I went, I spent a lot of my like teenage years doing a lot of sports and then when again sick unable to do things i love so i went reinvent yourself to find new ways change your perspective on life and you start noticing there are a lot of amazing things in life that you truly can be grateful for you just need to look at it in a different aspect so i'm really grateful for that time even though it was quite a painful time yeah like i think i think that's why we kind of probably bounce off each other is that we've both had kind of like something go on or something hit us in the past or kind of illnesses or whatever it may be and it's it is the kind of the, the lower times that you kind of potentially learn more about yourself and how you adapt that i think everyone's kind of different with how they react to different things and i think that's one thing that 2020 has taught a lot of people i remember we went for coffee towards the beginning of the year before mm. the first lockdown and i remember you were you were you were struggling i think it was the sleep and you're oh, like yeah. you were I think it was just before you got the bloods or just after the bloods and I, I remember like Steve uh, there's a sign there like what advice would you give to me in the same position and you're like shut up Shane but I remember like it, it is so hard to take yourself out of that scenario and kind of look at the signs and stuff Yeah. but it's interesting now what you were with when you were getting trained by Natalie who's been on the podcast for anyone who hasn't listened to that episode I recommend going back to listen to that episode but in order for you to start your own journey, why was it so important for you to to get a coach? Because I think a lot of people don't really do that. I think it was an aspect that like I needed someone to take the reins because as much as we can all research things and everything, there's something to be said when you don't have to truly think about what you truly need to do. You have someone telling you, this is the path you need to take and this is the end goal you're going to get to. If you do what is necessary, it's going to make a big change. And that was something for me. Like I was reading um, the nutrition pyramids by Eric Helms, the training pyramids by Eric Helms. Like I was deep into a lot of these things, reading like what constitutes as a rep, how do we look at reps, all these aspects. But I went like that was 
something that I did to distract me and enjoy and learn more about what I was doing. The whole aspect of getting a coach was to truly guide me along the path and teach me the necessary skills I needed before I got there. That was the key because a lot of people don't realize that the coach is there to help you learn and guide you, but also give you the accountability that most of us, some, most of us actually don't provide ourselves. I think then that's the crazy part. What do you, what do you think the difference between a, a good coach is and a not so amazing coaches? I won't say the shit word, but I would it. But you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there, there's like, it's not a regulated industry. And yeah. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I don't think I can't see it happening for the next little while. I was talking to Phil Learning off air about this when he was on. And mm-hmm. he's like, I can't see it happening. And he, this is a man who's been in the industry for a very, very long time. He's like, there's too much money being made by companies mm-hmm. now for the regulation to come in. There's mm-hmm. just too much money being made. What is it that you, that you would advise someone to look for to see the difference between a coach that actually cares and one that doesn't actually care? It, well, you, you touched on it. It's the care aspect, which is a massive one. It's the coach does need to care. But it's also, I think what people don't understand is when they're willing to admit things were wrong and that we're human. And like, I think a lot of aspects that people in general learn from mistakes, which is a phenomenal aspect that we do have, but it's also the ability to accept that we make mistakes. And I think that's the, that's the key thing because I went, there are many ways, as we know, to skin a cat. There are many ways to skin anything and do whatever you want. There are many paths to your end goal, but understanding that the person is there to care for you, guide you, and also try and show you that they're human and can kind of connect with you and go through that aspect. Like you would see a lot of coaches that they might not be, you know, the world's smartest coach, but they're there for their clients when they need to be there. They understanding the psychology behind it. They understand the people. They know how to communicate. They're there for the person. And I think that's the biggest thing. What a coach is meant to be there for you. You often see people just go, well, here's your plan. Get lost, you know, come back. It's, no, what can we do to make your life better? What, what can we do to make you as a person better? How can we level you up so that life is not as taxing on you? How can we show you the joys in life? And I went like a lot of people go like, oh, that's life coach. It's like, no, that's what a coach is there for. They're there to get you to the next level. They're there to get you the result, to make you better, to show you the way there. And people don't get that. It's that whole aspect of like, no, I'm just here to get fitter. It's like, well, true. But what about all the other things that can connect to it? It's like life in a whole has so many connections. It's not just one thing. And I went, that like ties into the butterfly effect or the chaos theory. Like, you know, a butterfly being killed somewhere in the Amazon could have a effect somewhere across the other side of the world. It's like these strings are all intertwined. It shouldn't be just, there's the program, do it. It should be, what other things can we look at that will improve everything overall? And that's what the good coach should be trying to do with you. Yeah, I think that's why I want to get Dallas on to the podcast, but also Dallas on board to work with the uh, team SWF and stuff like that, because he does come from a holistic point of view. And I think from myself, when I remember when I first started, it was just like, right, it's just like, I'll hold my hands up there. Like it was the same thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. But it can't be that way. Everyone's so different. Everyone has so many different things going on. Um, and one of the main things that I've noticed in the last little while is definitely the impact on stress. Because yeah. we we live in an information overload era. We live on, and we want everything now, instant gratification, dopamine hits through social media, swipe left or right for your, your next wife or husband. We work, we buy it now on Amazon with the click of a button. Um, I know you're waiting for a delivery. Uh, so if the phone rings, that's what that is. Um, but I, I, how much of an impact does stress have on one, appetite, mm-hmm. two, your body as a stressor? And three on your actual behaviors towards yourself and towards others because there's a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot. So we're like, we'll, we'll, we'll start with one in a sense, like for appetites and everything. So like when stress usually occurs, we often don't realize the impacts that it can occur. So the two people, like two people, can have two different aspects that come from a stressful situation. Some people could overeat and some people could undereat. You're an undereater. I'm an overeater. I went works perfectly for this scenario. 
So in, in most cases, essentially, when you start seeing people overeating, what essentially occurs is that the ability for the stress hormone, otherwise known as cortisol for most people, essentially stays in the system longer. The longer and longer that is in the system, you're going to have a point where you're going to mobilize energy. And what I mean by mobilize energy is your body's going to be taking a lot of energy from itself and putting it into the system because it's looking at this as a situation that I need to get the hell out of here. So the way we want to look at that is like, say you've been chased by a lion. The point of cortisol is to ensure that you are primed and ready to get out of that situation. However, when you're in a modern day situation, we can elicit a stress response just by thinking. And this is the crazy thing. So like we haven't adapted to the world around us. It's going to take a good hundred thousand years before we get there. And that's the crazy part about it. So that means that if we start thinking about certain things, we can elicit this stress response, which can be a good thing in certain situations. You know, you're just at a car crash. You need to push yourself out of a car crash and save yourself. However, if it's coming from, say, something that you're thinking about, you're longer, longer creating, or should I say, you're creating more of a stress response in yourself. Cortisol is still high. It's pulling more and more of your energy to try and mobilize something, right? So it burns more energy, which everyone's like, oh, that's a good thing. However, you need to replace this energy. And because it's very draining on the system, we end up seeking out very starchy foods. We seek out things that will give us a momentary uh, relief. So that'll be like your Oreos, your cookies, your sweets, all these things. Because it not only gives you that little semi-dopamine hit, but it gives you that feeling of, oh, I feel good. But because of now you need to replenish that energy, you end up basically overeating. Now, the under-eating part is basically essentially in the blunting all aspects. Exactly, shame. <laughs> Which some people are like, oh, that's a wonderful thing. Like, oh, I wish if I stress, I under eat it. Which is, that's also not a great thing either. Because like a lot of people can then once again get stressed and then put themselves into serious issues. Like you can kind of put yourself into um, anorexic positions. You could also end up creating a binge disorder from it. Because essentially you've lost so much weight and you look at yourself in the mirror. And now it's like, what happened? And then you start the cycle. So it's like both sides have their positives, but then both sides have negatives. So it's like stress impacts a major thing. So if you can find ways to lower your stress, woohoo, that's way better. But the problem is it's like first you also need to know that this is occurring. And this is what I think a lot of people don't recognize. It's like a lot of people end up stress eating in front of the TV. It's like... You end up coming there, you had a long day, the kids are going absolutely nuts and you managed to put them to bed, so nice in there. And now finally that stress response is um, diminishing and now that kind of point for food starts to increase. And now you're sitting in front of the TV, you're socially distracted, you're turning off and your body is primed to eat and you just keep going and going and going and going. And it's a, it's a terrible thing to see because it's so easily kind of managed, but you need to be able to go, hey, look, this is what's occurring. I am stressed. I'm eating for this aspect. I'm sitting in front of a TV, which is making this even easier for me to overdo this. What's happening? I'm stressed here. Cool. Maybe don't eat in front of the TV will be one aspect and start looking going, okay, maybe if I have a little bit of food, space it out, start dealing with my stress, I won't do as much of a damage when it comes to stress eating. The same goes with under eating. It's you need to know what is happening or at least acknowledge that it's happening for you to actually make a difference, which I think is a very hard thing for most people to recognize. Is stress self-induced? Yes, for a lot of people. In relation to there, is it the scenario or it's the situation that's happened or is it generally the reaction to the situation? Usually your reaction to a situation would be one. You will naturally get a little bit of a spike anyway if, say, something does happen when you think about it. So think about, like, say you got a mortgage. Mortgage is a stressor, especially if it's during this time. You know, people skipping repayments, struggling because of, you know, the whole scenario that's going on. That aspect, thinking about the mortgage and repayments would automatically start inducing a stress response. Now, you can then lower that and make sure the stress response is only marginal, so you only get a blip in the day by just changing going, hey, I, you know, 
I know this is not a good time. You know, I know things are struggling for me and we will find a way and try and change how you see and perceive it. You'll naturally see the stress response will start to decline very rapidly. However, if you go, okay, the mortgage, I need to make repayments. And every five minutes you go, crap, where am I going to get this money? Where am I going to get this money? And through the whole day, you keep going, where am I going to get the money? Where am I going to get the money? This is going to happen. They're going to take this from me. They're going to take that from me. You just keep that stress response nice and elevated. So you can change the stress response based on how you see and perceive things. Now, obviously, a legitimate stress response where you're about to be hit by a car is something you will never be able to kind of stop because it's such a traumatic experience. But self-induced through, say, thought, you can semi-change it based on how you see and perceive the world, which is handy. I like um, that. I like the idea that you can semi-change it. But like, you do, like, you, you, ultimately, it depends. I think grief can be a little bit different for a lot of people. Grief is, it impacts people at different stages. Some people impacts them at the very, very beginning. Some people it impacts them a year or two later, and then then everything just happened. So I think just that's just putting that caveat out there that that kind of thing can be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, like there's so many questions to kind of go through, and I know there's a lot of stuff that's. Uh, why do I keep calling you Stephen? Your name's not Stephen. Uh, Dallas uh, likes to talk about, but I think one of the things that kind of comes in a lot on Q and A's that we've both done is that is the thing about BMI. Is it like I get asked this question? I'd say two or three times a week. Is it one? Is it a reliable metric for most people? Um, and two, should we be utilizing it um, for for general population? Oof. is well bmi is a good in a sense that one it's a ability for us to um understand like mortality causes you know we can look and go right if someone's got a high bmi the likelihood of them having some form of issues um could be likely higher than someone who doesn't so it does give us a, a prediction in that case However, just simply blankly stating that, oh, you're over, you've got a high BMI, you're now obviously going to have issues, can now show, well, not really. A lot of um, fitness enthusiasts technically have higher BMIs, and they're in a wonderful spectrum metabolically as well as physically, which is also a wonderful thing. So it's like in one side, yes, you can use it as a predicator to see, yeah, cool, you potentially could have issues. But using it as a blanket for each and every person is not really the way to go about it because, you know, muscle mass is a big predicator in terms of how that works as well. So if you are someone who has a lot of muscle mass, I went picture Schwarzenegger or any bodybuilders, The Rock, I went, their BMI is going to be through the roof, you know. However, the amount that they do, the cardio they do and look after the health and all the nutrition as well makes them metabolically healthy as well. You could also have someone who's in the BMI range who is meant to be healthy, but be metabolically completely unhealthy. So it's using it as a kind of blanket statement for everybody is not really how we should go about it. We should use it as a way to inform whether the person could potentially have issues. And then from that aspect, then dive down into it and actually truly see. But I think everybody likes to use it as like, oh, look, I'm alone with BMI. So therefore I'm currently healthy. It's like, it's not so simple. You know, there's more to it than just, hey, look, I'm lower on this scale and higher on that one. What other metrics can you use? You could go to your waist-to-hip ratio if you really wish. That's also a nice uh, predicator in terms of type 2 diabetes and any form of metabolic health. You could also do a lot of like fitness tests, which can tell you relatively where you are. So you can do like something like a Cooper test. You can also do, depends where you want to go and what test you truly want to do. You can also look at like your glucose control, so bl- blood glucose. So you can look at your HbA1c and see whether you're in the range of that so that can also tell you are you handling your food correctly are you in a position to truly handle everything you're putting into your body is the body utilizing it correctly so there are different measures we can use that we can use as a proxy for health but bmi is just one aspect of many measurements for health 
And in relation to kind of like, there's a lot of people starting fitness journeys um, potentially in January or potentially now because the gyms haven't been open for a long, long time. And I think a lot of people have missed it, including ourselves. And I think it's 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 so, so important for, for mental health and stuff like that. But when someone's starting out in a weight loss journey, there's so much information out there regarding, should I be doing cardio? Should I be doing weights? And then the most common question that kind of comes in, or one of the most common questions that kind of comes in is, oh, I want to get toned, but I'm afraid to get bulky. Yeah, Steve's had a good chuckle at that question. Um, what does the word toning actually mean? That's a very good question, isn't it? Like, <laughs> are you looking for someone to get like semi-bulky? Are you trying to put on muscle? Like, what avenue are you truly going down? Because like whenever I think of toning, I automatically think of like a printer and, you know, tone and then all that. I'm like, ah, what do you, what do you want? It's a very vague aspect. It's like someone, when someone goes, you know, like what they're trying to say is I want some muscle, but I also don't want some muscle, but I want curves, but don't want curves. I want many things, but don't know what I want. It's like, Right, tell me where do you want to go with this? Because the word toning doesn't give any understanding to the person of where they want to go down. But uh, yeah, I, whenever you get it, you're like, right, where, where's this going? What do you want? But anyway, when someone usually says tone, essentially what it comes down to is that they're losing a little bit of body weight, so body fat, essentially, as well as making their muscles seem a little bit more fuller, more prominent, showing you know some of the muscle bellies, showing the delts, the biceps, having a nice um, glutes, quads. There's a lot in it, but it usually comes down to if you lower your body weight, you're going to see a lot of your muscle uh, belly, so you can see the roundness to your actual muscles, which is a nice thing. So you get that nice fitnessy, as people like to use another word for toning, um, look. Realistically, you should be focusing on building as much muscle as you possibly can. Now, building muscle is a hard aspect, which people don't realize. They're like, oh, let me just go to the gym and I've automatically built a body just like Arnold. And you're like, yeah, that doesn't work like that. I'm like, I have to spend almost eight months in a uh, surplus just to put on some, at least a little bit of tissue. And when I dive down and go, oh, look, something has changed. I mean, it's a long, tedious process that requires training to be on point, sleep to be on point, nutrition to be on point. Most people, when they start training, are in a, basically a calorie maintenance. So basically, their intake is matching their outtake, um, which means that the ability to build muscle is there, but not so much. So it's a little bit harder to truly build something. It's not going to really get there. So if you want to look at it that you can build, say if we put this in Lego, you've got the option to build, if you're in a calorie surplus, 10 blocks high. So you're like, sweet, that's me in a calorie surplus. I can build 10 blocks and I can build that every two months. If you're in calorie maintenance, you're looking at maybe building, say, four to five blocks every two months. So it's like you've got quite a diminished capability there, which is for a lot of people, it's a good thing because a lot of people are afraid that they're going to get bulky very quickly, even though it does take many, many years <laughs> to get what they want to get to, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think one of the other myths that kind of comes into, and it, it takes a long time, um, it takes a long, long time. I know when people first start out in the gym and have never done anything before, they have a thing called newbie gains, mm. which is generally kind of the first year and they'll, they'll, they'll build muscle a little bit more. Uh, a little bit easier and then after that depending on genetic factors obviously and lifestyle factors all that kind of stuff the the rate of muscle gain and muscle weight uh, or muscle gain should i say will um decrease a little bit and you just have to fight that a little bit harder and that's where that's where the fun starts but also the frustration can start as well uh mm. for a lot of people oh, but in, re in relation know. to cardio v weights for weight loss this is the big debate of what is the best way to go about it? Because I think a lot of people think, without sounding like, I don't want to be sitting up on an ivory tower with this with what I'm about to say, but like a lot of people think that they can do whatever they want in the gym and then eat whatever they want outside of the gym. Oh, and I think <laughs> uh, Dallas loves food. If you haven't guessed, um, you should check out Dallas's page for recipes. By the way, um, 
in relation to going, what is be- what is the best method of training? Is it, is it cardio v weight loss or is it a mix and match of the two? Uh, definitely a mix of the match. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. So one, you're using cardio as a way to make the heart pump more, um, make the heart muscle work better, as well as build, say, more blood vessels within the body, the better utilization of your food, as well as making you overall healthier. So you need that aspect. So a lot of people want to start a weight loss journey and they'll want to hit either side. So they do the extremes. Either I'm going to do just weights or I'm going to do just cardio without understanding that they both have their place in your aspect and they both need to be there. So it's like using the aspect of training to not only keep muscle, because we want to obviously keep as much muscle when we die, but we also want to make ourselves stronger, which is going to be a massive health um, effect to keep us healthier over time. We also then want to ensure that we can build some muscle, which is also going to help us technically burn a little bit more calories over the time period and i use that lightly because it's not like you're going to be burning 700 calories if you just put on a little bit of muscle it is a small increase and that's cool and it comes into your overactivity in the day you're using your cardio to keep you healthy and your weights to essentially build the tissue keep all that aspect going you put them together and then you've got yourself a wonderful diet regime which is essentially you can use your cardio as a way to keep you there, keep you there healthy, keep the heart pumping, give you a bit of calorie burn, even though we're not really caring about that because the diet's doing the job. And that's what we're truly looking at. The diet is doing the major work. The other two aspects are there to ensure that your longevity of your life is there and that you're in a better state when you stop dieting. So everyone looks at it as like, the diet is making me better. It's the the trio together that makes you better and healthier. Losing weight will technically make you healthier up until a point. Doing cardio will make you healthier up until a point. So weight. Every aspect has its negative if taken too far. Diving too much to one side is a problem we see when anyone enters the industry or, or enters into any kind of dieting phase. It's, it has to be all cardio, has to be all weights and no attention paid to the diet. It's put all three together. You'll be surprised what amazing things will happen to your body as well as the energy you feel, how lower your stress will be and how much generally your life is better because of those three. So it's not either all, but it's a combination of all three. And does muscle weigh more than fat? Because this is one question that kind of comes in a lot. And I know Stephen's just smiling like, and he's laughing into his microphone right now. But uh, does, does muscle weigh more than fat? Please put this to bed. It, one pound of fat is one pound of muscle. If they're both one pound, they're both one pound. <laughs> Bingo. Uh, does one take up less space in the body? Yes, muscle will take up less space than fat. Depending on how we do it. Depending. It depends. Is the favorite the, the favorite uh, nutrition or uh, medical uh, advice? Um, if there was one myth in nutrition that you would get rid of, what would it be and why? Carbs in the evening. <laughs> it's uh, it drives me insane purely for the fact that like. The body is an amazing thing. We can adapt to many situations. We burn fuel pretty much 24... Yeah, we burn fuel 24-7. Um, the idea that eating cars at the night suddenly somehow breaks every aspect of the body's way of utilizing fuel and then goes, oh, look, we're going to suddenly store this fat is crazy. Purely for the fact that we already um, understand that if you're in a calorie surplus, so essentially you're eating more food than um, you're currently exercising, you are going to be storing energy, which is storing fat. So it's like if you're eating at six o'clock in the evening and you're and you're in a calorie surplus, yes, it will be put to fat. It's not the carbs that are making you fat. It's the fact that you're eating in a surplus. 
the overall aspect it's that people believe that usually it comes down to when you eat any form of carbs it's going to make you fat no if you're going to eat any form of carbs in the evening still won't make you fat provided you adhering to either calorie maintenance or a calorie deficit if you were in a surplus well then it's not really the carbs making you fat it's the fact that the carbs have been burnt and the fat has been stored because that's its preferable way of going but there are other caveats to it though I would always recommend people at least adhere to or not adhere to to understand that carbs in the evening can be a wonderful thing for some people it will put them to sleep as in you will get a little more somnolence so that tired post somnolence effect so you end up getting sleepy helps them fall asleep it can be a wonderful tool to actually help people regulate the diets so you can give them say hey less food in the beginning because you know that they often want to snack in the evening so you go right eat majority of your carbs in the evening they get tired they go to bed at a better time get better sleep beautiful effect absolutely wonderful there are other people on the other side of the spectrum that eating a good amount of carbs in the evening could actually disrupt their sleep because the body is a little bit slower in processing the food so that creates heat so that means that when a person's going to bed then they're producing a little bit more heat a little bit more heat brings them out of their sleep cycle ever so slightly so they get a little bit worse sleep so it's like there's two sides to the spectrum but it's still carbs are not bad Carbs can be eaten at any time, like really any time. If you want to eat it at 10 o'clock in the night and it's pancakes, go enjoy it. If you want to eat pancakes at 1 o'clock in the morning, eat pancakes at 1 o'clock in the morning. It's just any ba- energy balance. That's it. Energy balance. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the, carb, the carbs one is the, is the, if I had hair, I would have pulled it out by now uh, with the kind of like that, that carbs myth. The last question I'm going to ask you, Dallas, is in relation to kind of, this will be released kind of mid in the next week or so in relation to um, going out and stuff. But people are going to be starting diets after Christmas. Like Christmas is going to be weird, whatever it is or whatever it looks like to a lot of people right now. And I think it's important that people do enjoy it whatever way they can do it. Mm. A lot of people start diets on the 1st of January. The 1st of January tribe come out of the woodwork and then they stop on the 8th of January and never go ever again. This isn't me sitting on an ivory tower. I've been there. And I think we've all been there. Oh, yeah. Potentially overindulge for Christmas. And you know what? You're human. Um, and I think now it's what's going on. It's more important ever, now than ever to kind of enjoy the, the family time or whatever family time you can. Um, and whoever can get home and stuff like that. I think that's super important. What advice would you have for the top two or three points for someone who's looking to start in January? what would be the the two or three points that you would recommend? Start with one goal, only one thing only. It doesn't matter if it's diet related or not, but just get used to doing one thing better in a month. So it's like, you've got a, you've got a task for 30 days. You're going to set yourself a task and you're like, I'm going to try to complete this as many times as I can in it and make it small, make it simple. Once you've successfully done that and you can prove to yourself that, yes, I can do this and I want to do this, then start looking at it in forms of actually making a list of three things you're going to do to help improve yourself in terms of the diet. So what am I going to do? Am I going to get a coach? Am I going to look more into this? How am I going to do this? And then three, um, then essentially... Once you've got a coach or any aspect of that, you could go into having support. And that support is technically tied into a coach, but also tied into with loved ones. Make sure that there's a support structure. A lot of people start um, trying to diet or try and start new aspects in life without the support from somebody there. And they often take the battle by themselves, which is there is no nothing wrong with that. The problem is usually we get through, we are able to get through or able to do things better when we have support. We know that. We see it even in a psychological aspect. We can do um, amazing sprint records because we're competing with somebody else. Like Usain Bolt getting freaking lower than 10 seconds and then even doing better when no previous time by himself had he ever reached that time. Support is a massive thing. And I think like having a coach by yourself makes a big aspect because it helps you get to that goal you're looking to attain quicker. And then having a support from your family or friends is knowing that when there is times that are going to be tough, 
there's going to be someone to lift you up and go, hey, it's momentarily, it is only an obstacle. You can overcome this. We just need to find a way through it. And the support of your family, friends, as with coaches, what often will get you there. So it's like start off simple, pick a plan, do it, repeat it as much as you can in 30 days. And then from that position, start making bigger aspects. So it's like, if you want to think about it, you're trying to get to the top of Mount Everest. You don't just start and just try and run up Mount Everest. You take your time. You find a spot, you rest, you recover, you set another goal, you keep going. And that's how you make it up the top of Mount Everest. The same thing will apply for your weight loss goals. You know, you need the, you need the support there as well as taking the time to reach them. It's not going to happen overnight. Then it could happen in three months. It could happen in a year. Each person is dependent, but you do need to set those goals correctly. You do need to be lenient on yourself when things go wrong. Because things will naturally go wrong. And when you look at that, you got to just smile and appreciate the, the journey you've taken to that point. Because every single time something goes wrong, it's always an ability for you to learn and improve yourself and now make something for the next go easier. And I think a lot of people don't realize that life in general is full of lessons, but we also get them all the time. And that if you refuse to learn them, they're going to keep coming back and back and back until we finally learn them. And that will be your diet. Yeah. You will realize that there are going to be mishaps. There are going to be days where you overeat. There are days when you undereat. There are days where you feel self-conscious. You won't like the way you look in the mirror. You won't like the way you feel in your clothes. All these aspects will come there. But it gives you an ability not only improve yourself and learn from it, but it also allows you to guide yourself further along it allows you to become better and that's the beauty of the process and that's the beauty of everything coming together you can make the change make the change believe yourself start simple i think what you said there at the the, the last point is is hugely important that i think if you're going into any journey work fitness relationship that you're expecting it to be a straight line of progress I think you're in for a rude awakening and life isn't about that. There's an amazing book called Yes to Life uh, by Viktor Frankl. Yeah. And everyone knows how obsessed I am with the first book, Man's, Man's Search for Meaning. But he says the meaning of life is suffering and it's how we adapt and how we choose our reactions to those situations uh, yeah. that will get us. Like there's, there's obviously days I don't want to train. There's obviously days that Dallas doesn't want to train. There's obviously days I don't potentially feel like doing, say, a podcast or whatever it may be. Mm. But I know the days that I'm going to show up are going to be the days that I'll learn more about myself and it will help someone out there. And that what keeps me going is that mm. it, it, like this could impact on a hundred people. This could impact on one person. Mm. And that's why we we're sitting here on a Friday morning, kind of having a chat just happens to be a microphone and a red light turned on. Um, but it is one of those things. I think a lot of people for going into 2021, we don't know what's happening. Um, we don't know what's happening with the vaccinations or wherever you are in the world and stuff like that. And I'm not going to go into that whole political shit. Um, mm -hmm. It's people's choice. But I think if you're starting out on a journey, just put one foot in front of the other. The rest is easy. Um, and it's about kind of just showing up for yourself when you don't want to, as bro as that sounds. But it's literally the only difference between why the, the person you're potentially looking at on social media or mm -hmm. one of your friends, they're just showing up more often than than not. There'll be days you don't want to do it, but there'll be days you don't want to go to work, but you still go to work. Yeah, it's it's a lot. A lot of it ties into like self love and self care, big time. Which is which is a crazy aspect because from a psychological aspect, when you look at it, a lot of personality is derived from how we see and perceive the world and how others interact with ourselves. So that's an interesting, it's known as like the salience hierarchy of identities. So weird aspect about it, but we come up with identities on a daily basis or over a period of time. And then these get validated by social interaction. So if I want to be a person who's loving and caring and someone really loves that loving and caring, that now goes higher up on my personal identity basis. You say, I want to be someone who's arrogant and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to be arrogant and everything. And then automatically my social peers and everyone around me hates on it and goes like, what's wrong with you? That goes lower in the hierarchy now. It's not an identity I use a lot. 
it's a lot of perception based as well. So it's like how we see, perceive the world plays into personality, but it's also that self-care and self-love. It's when you start looking at yourself as someone who is like every other person that has flaws, that has strengths, and you start realizing that, you know, there are going to be down days, you know, I get it. Everyone has that, but I can still make something from this. I can still be better. I can still attain what I want to attain. And I think once you start having that love for yourself, you start noticing that some of these pitfalls aren't really pitfalls at all. They're just many blips in your journey. And then you're like, yes, I can do this. I can feel better. And then you start noticing a lot of change in how you interact with the world, how the world interacts with you. It's no longer that I am at the bottom of the scale anymore. It's there is so much to be attained. And it's a weird change that a lot of people naturally end up going through later on in life when they start realizing that there is truly more to life than dieting. You know, it's learn how to diet if you want, but what about the training aspects? What about the ability to go for hikes, spend time with friends, have the health to be around with other people and those closest to you because those are the things that matter. And when it comes to the January aspect, a lot of people put one thing on a pedestal and that's, I want to lose weight. But it's like, what about showing yourself a little bit more love? What about the time you hate yourself in the mirror? You say all those bad things to yourself. I'm like, we talk to ourselves on a daily basis more than anyone else talks to ourselves. Like, we're always saying something in our head. And I went, we get a glimpse of ourselves and we're like, no, I don't like that. I don't like the way I feel in this. I don't do that. And it's like, change that aspect. And you'll start noticing that a lot of all the other aspects that contribute to you start changing with it which is a crazy aspect because it's like we often see a lot of self-help books and they all go through the aspect of change is one thing and it will change everything else in your life. And everyone's like, no, no, it's not possible. It's like in some circumstances, yes, it's not possible. Most cases, it will create quite a profound change in your life. Looking at yourself in better light will change a lot of how you see and perceive the world, but it also changes you as a person. And that changing makes everything else easier. So it's like, if you're going to take something on this January and it's going to be a diet, don't forget to look at yourself in good light as well. I love that. And that's, I think that's the whole holistic approach that Stephen takes to himself. And he wouldn't, I'm like that. If, if whatever I talk about on this, I apply to myself. I wouldn't try to ram down an ideology or suggest an ideology if I hadn't implemented it on myself. And that's important to, to, to note um, if if you are potentially working with someone or taking advice off someone, have they walked the walk beforehand? Um, so Stephen, why do I keep calling you Stephen? Uh, Dallas, this is frustrating me now. Uh, so Dallas, where can people find out about yourself on Instagram and where can people work with yourself? Where can they pop you a message? Where's the best place? So if you're looking to get in contact, you can on Instagram, it'll be defined by SD on Instagram. If you're looking to work with myself um, or work with obviously, you know, SWF, then onto the main site for SWF and you can fill out the form there. And then um, one of the coaches will be in contact, most likely me. I hope you say me, <laughs> but other than that, it's either the two. I am happy to chat to anyone. If you have any ideas in terms of like, you want to improve performance, if you would like to have a better outtake, more of a holistic approach to dieting, do get in touch. Um, I would love to help. I'm taking on more clients for January um, as SWF is growing quite rapidly. Yeah, it's quite scary. Uh, Dallas, I cannot thank you enough for being for going through so much from stress, BMI, cardio weights, word toning, uh, <laughs> the myth that you get rid of, um, and then where to start in January. But thank you so much for for coming on. And guys, if you've enjoyed the episode at all, please do tag us up on your stories. Please do leave, leave a review up on iTunes. The more reviews, the more guests I can get on, the more I continue the podcast, and the the more... Uh, things can grow so Dallas thank you so much for coming on and having a chat more than welcome and thanks for having me